0: This is an RNZ podcast.
1: This is Media Watch, I'm Colin Peacock. Now recently at RNZ we changed the tunes we use to go with our news, but as you might have heard in the news lately, not everyone's been happy with the sound, the source or the cost. This week Hayden Donnell asks an offshore expert in news music what works best and he asks a local composer to have a go. More of that later on. But before that, we look at an issue that's hit the headlines in a big way lately, the severe labour shortage. One particular industry's problems have been front and centre in the media, hospitality, but even that's part of a general picture of bad news, doom and gloom that the media have been grappling with lately.
0: Heather, I visited the Build Sydney show a couple of weeks ago, very vibrant, uh, lots of exhibitors went to Build Auckland show today, very sparse, no vibe. But interestingly, about 25% of the exhibitors were CCTV and security system suppliers, gives you a sense of what's uh, doing well out there, doesn't it, Just?
1: Last week on Newstalk ZB's Drive show, Heather Duplessy-Ellen read out this text from a listener, and that prompted this from the host...
0: My theory is that we are in a state of depression as a country at the moment, or close to. Um, If I was the country's doctor, I would be prescribing some sort of antidepressant to us. And I reckon we've got gloomy because this crap hasn't ended.
1: There's no question that COVID's been a bummer for just about all of us since early 2020. Though Heather Duplessy-Allen reckoned that we're now experiencing post-COVID problems.
0: Well, the pandemic's over for all intents and purposes, But we're still having to deal with this nonsense. Isn't that ultimately why we're feeling miserable? Because actually we just want
1: a break. But is the pandemic really over? As Heather duplessy Allen said there, well, not according to most of the rest of the media when they looked at the facts. In a thorough explainer for Stuff, Keith Lynch pointed out older people who haven't had COVID yet are now a lot more likely to be infected by BA5, and daily case numbers among the over-70s, he said, are the highest they've ever been. Meanwhile, epidemiologist Michael Baker had been issuing stark warnings in the media day after day, though one who had no interest in what he had to say was fellow Wellingtonian Nick Mills, the morning host for ZB in the capital, who called him rent-a-quote. Michael Baker... Let us get on with our lives.
2: You go back to your lab. Do some intelligent work. Get paid truckloads of money for doing it and live in an extremely flash house. But for me, I don't want to hear from you anymore.
1: I want to get on with my life and our life. Now, getting on with life would be good for Nick Mills. He has several hospitality businesses around the city. More on that later in this show. But on Tuesday, Professor Michael Baker told RNZ, COVID reinfections are also happening a lot faster these days, sometimes even within three weeks. And with that in mind, it's interesting that Heather Duplessis Ellen aired her post COVID open up to feel good theory right after telling listeners this. I love
0: this. Getting a scratchy throat, so I hate to say it, but I think I might be about to come down with COVID for the second time in two months. Um, We'll keep you posted on that worst worst sign. I'm told by someone telling
1: you the pandemic's over in the same breath as fretting about being reinfected again herself makes you glad she's not the nation's doctor, as she said earlier, or the prime minister.
0: If I was in government, what I'd do right now is I'd be like, green setting guys, go for your life. Do what you want, party, party, whatever, just for the mental break from it. And I would also say, hey, guess what? We're opening the borders. We're going to bring the workers in. You want some workers? You want to grow your business? Because your business can grow. If it just had the workers, we'll bring them in. I could be completely wrong, or I could be on the
1: money. However, Heather duplessy Allen wasn't the only one in the media lately, zeroing in on our national midwinter malaise. Last weekend, for example, the Sunday Star Times had the words Breaking Point on the front page, superimposed on a bashed-up Buzzy Bee toy that was on its last legs, or to be precise, its wings and its wheels. Life in NZs getting harder, slower, dearer and more stressful, the paper's front page said, with some experts fearing the whole house might get blown down. Housing problems, building shortages, the health system's current strife, ram raids and the fact we can't even seem to keep up printing passports these days were all canvassed under the headline, Is Aotearoa Broken? And after that, the media-friendly economist Cameron Bagri told the paper, You can't just say New Zealand is broken, but big cracks are appearing and not the sort of things you can ignore. Now just two days earlier, readers of Rupert Murdoch's biggest paper across the ditch, The Australian, read that New Zealand needs to be careful not to turn into a failed state. And that was the verdict of the New Zealand Initiative's Oliver Hartwich, who clarified that shrill warning with this. That does not mean we should expect civil unrest, but a period of prolonged and seemingly unstoppable decline across all areas of public life. Now on his subscription site, politic.co.nz, Richard Harmon described that assessment as soaked in gloom, and just the day before, his site had reported better news that wasn't much reported elsewhere. A record number of homes, more than 50,000, were consented in the year to this May. Now building those will be a separate challenge, of course. But shortly before that, Politech had reported infometric stats showing a 56% lift in network infrastructure spending over the coming decade, and that's compared to the one that ended in 2021. Also underreported last week was the chief economist of the Reserve Bank, Te Puti Matua, Paul Conway, telling the National Property Conference house prices might be moving back to what he called roughly sustainable levels. Sustainable doesn't actually mean affordable. But journalist Bernard Hickey reckoned that that slowdown on the one-way bet that's distorted the economy and investment over decades, as well as blowing up the prices of our homes, was encouraging. The Reserve Bank also thinks that changes coming in the RMA, the introduction of uh, intensification rules by the government, and uh, also lots of house building recently uh, may have changed the game for the housing market. Now another problem that's been portrayed as out of our control is rising inflation. But in his Weekly Herald on Sunday column last weekend, Herald Business editor Liam Dan said there was good news here as well. Signs of global pressures easing, and for all the talk of inevitable recession, there's also the possibility of a soft landing here, he reckoned. But before Herald on Sunday readers could get to that in the business section of the paper, Heather Duplessy-Ellen reprised her anecdotal radio reckons about doom and gloom in her column in the main paper. This country needs to draw a line under the pandemic and move on, she said. So going beyond mere slogans, the Herald's Liam Dan in his piece said inflation falling along with demand in the economy will eventually force businesses to cut back, and higher unemployment will ease those labour shortages and take pressure off wage growth, but that means some people will lose their jobs. But he added, As long as we don't panic, it remains manageable without the socially devastating price of high unemployment that some were forced to pay in the 1990s. Now the consequences of getting that wrong, like intergenerational inequality, was set out in an eye-opening piece of reporting by Rebecca McPhee in The Current Listener this week, The Shameful Truth of Poverty in New Zealand. She concluded that the last three years have shown us that New Zealanders are actually prepared to tolerate pretty high levels of poverty. So that then is another of the structural issues the country really needs to acknowledge and confront now, and the media can play a role in picking out what those issues are rather than just wallowing in the doom and gloom. (laughs) When the Sunday Star Times last weekend asked, is Aotearoa broken? Economist Cameron Bagry said one of the serious long-term problems COVID has exposed was this one. When we couldn't use foreign labour, all of a sudden we realised we've been insufficiently investing in Kiwi talent for a long time. And that tight labour market and labour shortages have certainly been a real problem in a range of industries. Among them, hospitality, pretty hard hit by COVID restrictions in the last couple of years. Now previously, the industry's representatives have made headlines by urging the government to drop COVID alert levels, and they've pushed for the borders to open up sooner rather than later. Back in March though, gathering limits and mask requirements were lifted before the move to Orange to help them out, but many people they found were just reluctant to go out. And at that time here on MediaWatch, we heard that hospitality workers' warnings that already stressed staff would find it hard to stay healthy and might even walk away from the industry went often unreported. But that is now playing out. Under the headline, Winter Illness Brings Hospo to Its Knees, Restaurant Association Chief Executive Marissa Bidwar told Stuff this week they now face workforce shortages across the board, with migrants and working holiday visa holders not yet available to them in numbers. And they got a pretty sympathetic hearing in the media this week.
3: How stressed are you, Matt? How are you sleeping?
1: Um, <laughs> Not the best, to be fair. It's uh, yeah, no, it's it's tough times. In fact, you know, I've been in the industry for over 30 years and I don't think it's ever been as tough as it is at the moment. That's Matt McLaughlin, who owns Three Bars in Wellington and is the regional rep of Hospitality NZ, talking on Monday's AM show to Ryan Bridge, who then asked him to respond to comments made by
4: the Immigration Minister, Michael Wood. Employers and sectors that continue to pay low wages with insecure working conditions also need to consider that what changes they will make to be genuinely attractive places to work. So, have you thought about what changes you could make to make your workplace well, more attractive? <laughs> yeah, look, we've, we've, been, we've been pivoting the whole time COVID's been around. You know,
1: people in hospitality work in hospitality um, because it's a fun, vibrant um, industry to be in. It's an industry where you can be adaptable. You don't... Uh, you know, people want to, to be able to... Um, work for six months and move on and work somewhere else. Well, fun and flexibility are factors, for sure, but it's also hard work during hard times at often unsociable hours. Matt McLaughlin told the AM show that before COVID, more than half of his workers were foreigners without New Zealand residency, and few of those are still here. So what's the money like now that it's a seller's market for local labour? You know, the pay rates have, have gone up. You know, we're looking at about $24 uh, average wage in hospitality um, across the sector. In Queenstown, I'm told it's $26. So, you know, these things are moving, um, but, you know, there's no magic wand for us to be able to, to wave and say all of a sudden our industry is so much better to, to, to come and work in. Yeah. You know, it's, it's just disappointing to hear that kind of um, uh, attitude. But instead of asking how much wages had actually gone up, Ryan Bridge responded like
4: this. As you say, wages have been going up. There are industries in New Zealand which just cannot operate if you have to charge $35 per hour for every staff member. That, that's that's
1: right, mate. And, and well, only owner-operators and executive chefs are paid in the region of $35 an hour. Many media organisations this week seem to be asking employers one by one what they paid, but industry-wide rates are readily available in the Restaurant Association's own remuneration survey. Now, This year's one shows wages up 8.2% on average, after a 6% rise in 2021, but the average hourly rate is $24.43, which is still less than $3 above the minimum wage. The report also includes enlightening comments from operators themselves, many saying that they wanted to pay more but couldn't because COVID restrictions were hammering their profitability and their productivity at the same time. But interestingly, the same Restaurant Association survey also says there's an urgent need for long-term changes to challenge the perception of the industry as a poor option for workers and reminded all hospo operators they must remain competitive in the labour market. All that's pretty close to what the Immigration Minister actually said, though without the reference to low wages and insecurity. But later that same morning, ZB Wellington Morning host Nick Mills also bridled at that.
2: What about the flexibility we give workers? Security? Security when we get the traffic light system from the government, when they decide when we can open, how we can
1: open, why we can open... If we could get security, life would be fine. Now, the reason Nick Mills said we there is that he owns several hospo businesses in Wellington himself, and for him, it's personal.
2: Wages in the hospitality industry have gone up considerably, and nobody in the industry
1: begrudges that. So stop gaslighting it. And Nick Mills almost inadvertently admitted that the industry did have a problem with poor pay up until the pandemic.
2: It might have taken COVID to, to shake it up and it might have taken a scare of not being able to find staff to shake it up, but I now see staff
1: getting very well rewarded for doing a day's job. But in trying to make that point, at length, Nick Mills didn't seem entirely sure what wages he actually does pay.
2: Ah, oh, I don't think there's anyone employed by us, and I could be wrong and you can call me if I'm wrong, but I don't think there's anyone under $25
1: an hour And it would have been great if someone on the payroll had called in because, again, in over an hour of radio devoted to the issue, we didn't hear from anyone actually employed in HOSPO. Though we did hear from another HOSPO employer who was literally across the road from Nick Mills' studio and she was also angry about the minister's comments.
0: Completely speechless, completely angry.
1: Mary Meachin went on to say the wages she offered had gone up substantially, but all hospo owners were being punished by the immigration tap being turned off.
0: In the past, when you advertise for a chef, you would have your pick of a few good chefs, or, you know, for whatever position it was, you had your pick. Now basically anyone who applies gets a job, and, and that cannot be good for the industry. Later
1: in the day, RNZ's checkpoint was on the case with a now familiar angle.
0: Restaurant owners are hitting back after the Immigration Minister Michael Wood said they should offer better conditions and pay.
1: And then RNZ's tourism reporter Tess Brunton took up the story.
0: In Queenstown, Flame Bar and Grill owner Lou McDowell has been spending about $2,000 a month on SEEK, trying to attract more staff. She was frustrated to hear the Immigration Minister's comments. How can you make better working conditions and offer more pay when there's no one actually applying for the jobs. So you could offer someone $50 an hour and they're still not going to turn up for a job interview because there's no one to turn up.
1: Tess Brunton went on to say that entry-level servers get $27 an hour at that restaurant. Having heard that, HOSPO workers group Raise the Bar pointed to some of those costly ads on seek for that restaurant which were offering wages for more senior staff that were barely any better. One, for example, sought a duty manager with two years' experience for $27 an hour and a chef-de-partie job offered the same wages." Now They also pointed to an AUT report from April this year, Voices from the Front Line, which concluded long-standing but steadily worsening labour market problems in the sector had accompanied its rapid growth and economic success long before the pandemic. But while Checkpoint listeners didn't hear about that, they did hear from two other restaurant owners saying that they treat their workers well to keep them, even closing some days to save them from overwork. Now It turns out there is a way to get on the air with Ryan Bridge on the AM show to talk about all this though, you can buy space on the programme. Milford Asset Management has a sponsored slot on the show and last week they talked all about this very issue.
4: When good news goes bad, wage growth and low unemployment generally seen as good things for the economy, right? But latest data from Zero this morning shows it's making our small businesses nervous.
0: Yeah, I mean, and 4% job growth from small businesses is incredible in this environment. I mean, that, that's almost like Kiwi ingenuity and in practice. How have you managed to grow the number of people that you employ by 4% when yeah. we know every industry is really struggling for people?
1: Meanwhile, last Tuesday, TVNZ Breakfast spoke to a remuneration consultant.
0: Um, what we saw over the pandemic is um, people sort of re- sort of assessing why what they're working, who they're working for, what really matters. Um, And I think in an employee-led market, they're being a little bit more discerning about where they're going. So yes, money talks, absolutely.
1: Yes, money talks in an employee-led market, but the media doesn't talk to workers, it seems, though they do talk to hospo bosses, who all say they're victims of circumstances and government policy that's beyond their control. Exactly 24 hours later, TVNZ had another interview shedding light on an industry that seems to have adapted a lot better. One local sector has
4: managed to increase its workforce by 10% over the past year and thus still looking for more Kiwis. Joining us here in our Auckland studio to fill us in on how and why is Bruce Jarvis head of SAS for the Digital Industry Transformation Plan. Where are you finding these people,
1: though? So a lot of people are cross-training in other industries. We had a great case, business case, or case study of a, a painter in Wellington, cross-trained, and now is earning you know, 60, 70k as an entry-level role. So we're picking up a lot of people from other industries. We've got hairdressers, we've got school teachers, we've got pharmacists, we've got chippies, and also school leavers as well. So you, know, you don't have to go and get the, the student debt of a three- or four-year degree. Well, as we heard earlier, even one of the hospo industry's main lobby groups warned its own operators more than two years ago attracting and retaining its workers was going to be a looming problem. And that was a point made by Dr David Williamson from AUT School of Hospitality and Tourism, one of the authors of that report, Voices from the Frontline, published back in April. And on Friday, he told Morning Report on RNZ National the businesses had reaped rewards from years of employing low-paid migrants.
2: Between 1980 and 2000, this sector, hospitality, lost almost 25% of the value of its hourly wage. And so that's had a massive impact on the sector, and it's only really just starting to rebuild now.
1: Dr Williamson made the point that no one would want to see the sector go back to the 1980s, and older people will remember there was nothing like the choice or variety on offer for consumers back then, or employees for that matter. But he said that industry-wide standards could have helped hospitality make itself a better option for the workers that it can't find now. Hospitality workers made that point themselves recently in their submission on the fair pay agreements legislation that's currently before Parliament. So it's a pity that most of the media also didn't make that point this past week whilst highlighting the recruitment problems of hospo owners who also made no secret of the fact they're biding their time for the immigration tap to be turned back on for them. If you watch or listen to the same news programmes day after day, as many of us do, you probably barely notice the theme music they use to get them underway or bring them to a close, or to get in and out of ad breaks. And some use quite traditional, even old-fashioned sounds, like the clattering typewriter or telex machine noise that fires up the News Hub at 6 music.
0: Globally, COVID infections have...
1: And in the UK, the long-running News at 10 has had the sound of Big Ben's bongs after blaring horns and drums for almost 60 years now. From
2: ITN, News at 10, with Trevor MacDonald. Climb down means new rights for millions of workers. After double murder, a third body...
1: And And of course here at RNZ, Morning Report closes every day with one of our feathered friends.
0: The Little (laughs) shearwater, RNZ National.
1: Now back in 2005, there was an outcry when an RNZ rethink of its presentation proposed axing the birds, which just goes to show that news themes aren't much of a big deal until they change. As Hayden Donnell now reports.
5: Listeners tuning in to RNZ's morning report at 6am sharp on the 30th of May were greeted with an unfamiliar, and perhaps with some, disturbing sound. Gone were the blaring horns that had introduced the show for the last eight years. <laughs> in their place was this. The new news music was composed by the outfit Song Zoo in what RNZ dubbed a sonic refresh for Morning Report and its other major news shows, Checkpoint and Midday Report. Its swirling synths, plucked strings, and ethereal whale cry esque interjections were certainly easier on the nerves than the old theme. But there was one problem Song Zoo is based in Australia and Singapore. RNZ's decision to outsource theme music overseas has provoked an outcry from local musicians and their industry bodies. In an interview with the spin Screen Music and Sound Guild of New Zealand co-chair Polly McKinnon said the decision was a slap in the face for local composers and sound designers. One news reporter, Benedict Collins, followed up on the growing unrest, lodging an Official Information Act request which revealed RNZ had spent $43,000 on the composition and rights for the updated theme. That likely beats the annual salaries of many of our cash-strapped musicians. Local songwriter Rian Sheehan had this to say to Stuff about the deal.
2: There is so much talent out there that is not being nurtured
5: or trusted. We don't need to go offshore to have a piece of music written for anything. If there was a running theme in these complaints, it was that local musicians are perfectly capable of delivering a great news intro of their own. In the spin-off, McKinnon said she could name literally hundreds of musicians who could have done the job. This week, Media Watch decided to put that to the test. We called up local songwriter and synth expert Jeremy Toy to see what sort of news theme he could slap together in a couple of days for free. Kia ora, Jeremy. Welcome to Media Watch.
4: Yeah, uh, ora. Thanks for having me.
5: So, hey, before we begin, uh, many Media Watch listeners, they won't know this, but I've dabbled in music myself over the years, and I, I thought that I would come up with my own RNZ News theme this week. The news is here. The news is here. Look out, it's the news is here. The news is here. Look out, it's the news. It's the news. And you can picture Katrina Bannon or something coming out of this, you know, the news at, the news at 9
4: straight after that so what did you think I love it it's quite heavy-handed on the keys but um, you I can really you hear me thumping with, them yeah I assume you you were working with you were doing it quickly off the just off the cuff to keep the um, atmosphere alive and present
5: I was actually just doing that on my phone you know I was kind of almost inspired in the moment I, I reckon now people will say vocals is a bold
4: choice right it's a very bold choice considering they might be having to talk over it but it's also very direct and no one would be confused about what was happening.
5: That's what I think, right? Because a lot of news themes, it's all about the subtlety. It's about sort of implying the grandiosity of what's about to take place. But I'm, mm. I'm saying it
4: much more directly. Look out. And you haven't mentioned any current events within your songs or your jingle. So you could use that for years to come.
5: News could be happening at any point twenty thirty twenty forty 2030, 2040,
4: even 2100. Think, Boris is gone. Boris yeah. is gone. It's something like that. It wouldn't work.
5: That would instantly date it. But what it does is it's saying, any kind of news is about to happen, look out, it's the news. So you've come up with your own news themes this week as well. And just to be clear, this is stuff that you've done in the breaks between your day job. You've done it for free. You know, we have no budget here at Media Watch. One of them I composed while I
4: was in a meeting for work.
5: That's quite amazing, right? So goes to show, I guess, what could be done if you had budget and time, because uh, this is no budget and no time. So you've composed yes, a couple correct. of these.
4: And so what's the first one that you want to play to us? I kind of went in thinking this might not work, but I wanted to do it anyway. It's a, it's a funky take on the on the news. How I'd like a cop show theme to sound... But there is always a bit of crime in the news, so I thought this could be relevant, and it was worth going, following through on it. It was was a, a good half an hour spent following through on the idea.
5: Yeah, so my first thought hearing that one is maybe it's a little bit too sexy for RNZ. I thought it could be more suitable for something like Robbie Rakaty on the sound, like it, it sort of vibes more in his direction. But you actually had an idea for an RNZ host that that could,
4: that could suit. I, I, I know Wallace Chapman loves a bit of funk. He, he's, he loves the drums. So I thought maybe it could work for Wallace's show, you know. The, the start, I was trying to do an EastEnders type fill into it. So I tried to do that, but I didn't get the fill right. But I've, I had to follow through on it anyway. I really
5: like it. And I just like it as a piece of music just in general, even if Wallace doesn't, you know, adopt it himself. You've composed yeah. another, I guess, a bit more straight, a bit more traditional news theme as well this week. Well, this, this
4: one, I really love the PBS theme um, for their news, and I, News Hour, and I also love their frontline theme. It's one of the greatest. You can picture trouble, uh, trouble on the horizon. Um, so I just tried to f- follow through on that, and with a vague memory of what the old theme used to be on RNZ, I couldn't remember. But I, I just, just went, went for it. I love that. I love that. Great. Do you like the Kate Bush drums?
5: Yeah, it's very now while also being very then, you know?
4: Yeah, thanks. Quite often the news themes have a lot of electronic delays and echoes. Dubby sort of downbeat applied to them. I tried to go get away from that and just go straight into like a Kate Bush kind of groove.
5: In a way, almost doing something that's very like the electronic sort of sounds of today and the, the most high-tech stuff we can do today, that's going to date it in future, in 20 years' time, when we've got much better technology, right? So you've almost gone the other direction and gone with very classic, it's still electronic, but very classic sound.
4: I tell you, it's a lot easier writing when you know there's no outcome or pressure to make something. I'm happy to help in
5: that sense. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> Shall we talk about having just heard these, RNZ's decision to contract out its theme music to an overseas production company. What did you think of that?
4: I, I wasn't so surprised that something like that would happen, but it, but when you read it, you're like, no, 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 that didn't happen. Surely not.
5: We've, we've just played stuff that you played in your breaks, but I guess the reason that you're a bit surprised is because you can see that there's a lot of local composers out there that really can do good work.
4: Exactly. There's so many musicians... Who would be willing to take that up. If I got paid for a day, I could turn in like ten versions of a news theme and one might be fairly okay. And that's just me. It doesn't make sense in that regard because there's so many good composers here. And and the 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 reason I'm not so surprised is there is that still that people overseas know better than people in New Zealand for some reason. Or like or someone who spent time overseas is, is smarter. You know, like, there's that element of it which is kind of yuck.
5: But I guess there's an expectation that maybe the government money will go towards local composers.
4: Why not just have somebody here make the music for the people here that are going to listen to it? Hey, thanks for joining me, Jeremy. Thank you for having me. Um, Thanks for letting me compose some music for very little reason.
5: (laughs) Without wanting to stray too far away from objectivity, all the compositions we just aired show there's a huge wellspring of talent to be tapped right here in New Zealand. RNZ says it settled on Song Zoo because of their impressive original sound portfolio and their experience with use of indigenous instrumentation. But does this new theme tune stack up with the best of the best internationally? Dutch collector Victor Vlaam holds the world record for the largest collection of news music, with his recording spanning nearly 1,900 hours of news theme tunes. We asked him for his take on RNZ's new theme. Kia ora, Victor, and welcome to
3: Media Watch. Thank you, thank you for having me.
5: So you've got the world's largest collection of news music. No one is more qualified to review news music than you. <laughs> Where does RNZ's news music
3: rank? From what I've heard of it, uh, the new theme that I heard a snippet from, it actually sounds uh, pretty good. Uh, I think it sort of has an epic sound, which is quite popular. You see that being used pretty much all over the world uh, these days. Uh, But for the new theme, I I actually really like it. I like the fact that it's um, it has a big, grand, epic sound to it. I think that really is nice. At the same time, uh, there's a combination of both electronic elements and um, uh, some strings, for example. And I really like that combination because it suggests something that is uh, quite uh, modern, something that's quite contemporary. The, the the electronic elements, and at the same time, the strings that suggests that it's newsy to me. It me it makes it more urgent. Uh, I was a bit surprised because I was listening to some of the older themes in your history as well, and there were uh, bird elements in there, and this was the first time I had heard bird sound effects being used in a the news theme, but I sort of understand the tradition behind it, especially because it's a morning news program, uh, so I actually thought it was quite original, and I liked the fact that there's a tradition of that being used, uh, so I actually liked it. It was kind of a new experience.
5: Every day, actually, on morning report, we do play a bird song. It's a it's a it's a hello New Zealand tradition.
3: Ah, okay, that's where it's from. Yes, um, I also like the fact that there is a really good melody. It really appeals to me, uh, which means that the composers have probably done a lot of work in, into that. It's it's been probably very difficult to achieve that, but I think they did a very nice job on it. What would you critique? To be honest with you, I don't think I necessarily have a critique here. I think it sounds pretty good um i would if i had it in my collection i would probably play it multiple times Uh, so i think it's generally a good theme.
5: now the thing that has upset people around here is that we didn't go local for this contract for the news (laughs) theme now are you surprised that rnz you know the national radio station went offshore for this
3: Um, Not necessarily. I think you see this happening a lot more these days in the world of news music. Certain composers, certain companies have a sound that is popular, that has been a proven success. And you see broadcasters all around the world essentially go uh, for those composers. The uh, BBC composer David Lowe, uh, he he composed the the really famous BBC News theme, and you see that all over the world he's being asked to compose music for television. He's done music for shows in Norway, in India, in China, in the United States, pretty much everywhere. So I think that's the first reason that often they go with those big um, uh, names uh, uh, from abroad. The second reason that happens is because those bigger companies tend to have more experience. That experience can be very beneficial because what makes new theme music hard to create is the fact that um, really usually an open these days only lasts a few seconds that that does only heard for a couple of seconds and it's extremely hard to do because most composers if you're for example used to composing it, it, it usually can last at least three minutes so you have a lot of time to make your point when it comes to news music you need to make it very quickly succinctly and it needs to still be catchy and sound good And that's actually quite hard. So having more experience in that regard, and that's usually what these big international composers have, uh, can be beneficial because they know how to do that.
1: That was Victor Vlam, a Dutch journalist with the world's largest catalogue of news, music and themes, talking there to Media Watch's Hayden And Victor's collection, if you're interested, is online at networknewsmusic.com. He welcomes new contributions. Now, As you heard there, Victor liked the bird on Morning Report and he also gave a thumbs up to RNZ's new news programme Music that was composed overseas, something that, as we also heard, upset local composers here. But RNZ told MediaWatch it did consider local options for the project and RNZ has now responded to the Screen Music and Sound Guild of New Zealand's concerns. RNZ spokesperson John Barr said that in the end, preference was given to sound designers who had completed recent original contemporary work with Australia's public broadcaster SBS, which also incorporated Indigenous instrumentation. John Barr said the makers of the new RNZ themes also consulted a local composer, Jim Hall, who's a specialist in Māori instrumentation, and the final suite of music included Māori elements such as taonga pūoro and porotiti. Well next week here on Media Watch we can hear more from Victor about what makes good news music and some of the good and bad stuff from around the world over the years. But that's all we have for you in Media Watch this weekend. We'll be back with more on the media in Midweek Media Watch at about 10.30 next Wednesday night and then back with Media Watch at the same time next weekend here on RNZ National.